Like most teachers, I got into this career to make an attempt to inspire young people into seeing the subject that I love, as I do. Very often it's very difficult to do that. No matter how hard we teachers try, teenagers are often more interested in social media, video games, the gossip from lunchtime, or even for the really weird and strange students. Sometimes they're even more interested in geography than they are in history. However, for just a few days a year, we get to take the students to the battlefields of the Western Front. And whereas in a normal school day there might be the odd student that occasionally has a lesson that really reached and had a profound impact on them, on the battlefields the reverse is true. It's rare for a student to leave without the trip having had an impact on them. And, and that, that feeling of having had an impact on students is precisely why I got into teaching and also why I always come away thinking that the Battlefields trip was worth all the effort, preparation and sacrifice that goes into the trip from all of the teachers involved. To that end, I've really got to dedicate this episode to the hard work of uh, Mrs McFarlane, Charteris, Mr Wilson, Mr Phillips, but particularly Mrs McFarlane who organised the trip and, and did all of the, the terrible paperwork. Uh, I was merely the guide and I was absolutely loving every second of it. Today, you'll ride along with us at the back of the coach as we ride between sites, as we sit among the gravestones of fallen soldiers, gazing across the Somme battlefields or in the Ypres salient, and as we traverse two different countries in France and Belgium. The students were asked to consider two key questions, amongst many others, but the two key questions were, how and why should we remember the First World War today? And, are the stereotypes of the First World War accurate? Were they all about mud, death, trenches, and so on? Although I didn't record it, I started the visit at the back of the coach, not because I wanted to be down with the kids or because I actively sought a headache, but because unfortunately, it's a legal requirement for teachers to spread themselves out around the coach to be near potential emergency escapes. I can confirm that conversation ranged from what it's possible to get away with in lessons to how disgusting it was that one student had brought a whole salami sausage to eat along the way, seemed to upset them all because of the smell. Uh, they all appeared to have headphones in, but also holding conversations with each other. I've no idea how they do this. And I swear to God, I also saw one student texting another student when they were sat literally next to one another. I have no idea why they do this. In short, I stepped into a foreign world that I neither related to nor could understand. But as you're about to hear, as a result of this trip, these teenagers willingly stepped out of their unfathomable little teenage worlds and came out with some particularly thought-provoking, mature and insightful comments. Before the trip I decided to have a game of word association with certain people who weren't students, like people in my family, starting with my old dad, and also people at work, just to see what people who aren't history teachers or history students think of when we say First World War. Dad. Gonna do a bit of word association. Are you ready? Right. Uh, football. Cricket. No. Word association. What do you associate with football? Cricket. Yes. <laughs> Morrison's. Vegetables. Groceries. Morrison's. <laughs> <laughs> Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> 
film stars. First World War. Spitfires. <laughs> That's Second World War. <laughs> First World War. Trenches. <laughs> Soldiers. Bombs. Death. Soldiers. Soldier. Germany. Trenches. Death. Trenches. Soldiers. And so if that small cross-section of society is to be believed, then the stereotype of the First World War is about death, soldiers, even spitfires for some reason. Um, so I asked the students what sort of things they would expect from the trip. We're on the coach. We're on the way. We're on the way. What do you expect to see out there uh, in, the, uh, in the, the trenches, uh, out on the fields of battle, on our first World battlefield trip? What sort of things do you think is going to be there? Um, I think it's going to be a lot of memorials, um, a lot of people uh, looking for family members that maybe fought in the war. Um, I feel like it's going to be a very compelling journey and, and I'm very delighted to be able to spend it with some of my closest friends. Um, <laughs> and Julian. And Julian. <laughs> what, what jumps into your head when you think about the First World War? Unnecessary murder. Murder? Yeah. What's the difference? Oh, well, they are killing themselves. <laughs> Everyone. Well, the difference between murder and war, isn't it? Is there a difference between murder and war? Unnecessary yeah. manslaughter. No, don't touch it. Well, I accidentally shot you. Oh, it was not unnecessary. In like, I mean, it wasn't. No, I mean, we were fighting. It was, we weren't unnecessary. They were. We were fighting for, you know, our, our safety. We weren't fighting for no reason. Yeah. Uh, no, we didn't fight for our safety, we fought because we were allies with people that needed safety, yeah. so we fought for them. So we fought for our own and theirs? Yeah, no, we fought for their safety. It wasn't needless for us. No one came to the room. No it wasn't pointless in our sake, it was pointless. Their, their fighting was pointless, yeah. Because they're, whatever, they're, I don't know. So hold on a minute, so you, you, the word pointless keeps coming up. Higher. Yeah, yeah. So you, we think that the first row was pointless? Uh, no, just the Germans. There was Oh, yeah, all right. well, I mean, it, was, it wasn't pointless in like, I guess it wasn't pointless at all, at all because they felt that they were, because um, after the king uh, was murdered, they thought that something was going wrong, so they started a war. We're here with the one and only Mr. Phillips, who has never been to the battlefields, like the students around us. So when we think, when you are asked to think about the stereotypical view of the First World War, what sort of thing jumps in your head when somebody mentions First World War? What sort of images or what sort of words? Well, like a very stagnant, slow wall, lots of muddy trenches, lots of disease and barbed wire. Um, that's all I've got a picture when I start thinking about the First World War. So you've got the view of some of the students who, by the way, haven't actually studied the First World War since year eight. And they're in year 10, those students I was talking to there. And also a non-history teacher who's come along on the trip, teaches science um, with what he thinks about the First World before he, he comes on the trip. But yeah, the students don't actually study the First World War for their GCSEs. And that is a question that we return to at the end when I ask the students whether or not they should really be studying this. Why should they be going on this trip? Now, the rest of the podcast is a mixture. It'll be moments from the battlefields themselves and some of the stories that are told the students interspersed with some of the thoughts of the students them themselves on what they've seen and how they're reacting to things. So sit back, get your history pants on, and let's get stuck into the Battlefields Trip 2019.
you stood, you sat, especially there, on the bones of men who died over a hundred years ago. And you'll probably stand above the bones of literally thousands of soldiers over the next three days. Um, but although you probably don't know it, the vast majority of you will stand in cemeteries at some point will contain the bones, or at least the names on memorials, of people that are connected to your family, some way, somehow. If you think about it, if you go back to my mum and dad, well, your mum and dad's, what, were they born in the 70s? Yeah? 80s, 70s, born in the 70s. Well, so we're roughly in the 70s. Your grandparents, then, were probably born in about the 50s. And their, grand, their parents were probably born in the 30s. So you're going to great... Uh, grandparents and then to get to your ancestors from the first row it's probably great great so you've got two parents four grandparents eight great grandparents 16 great great grandparents because it doubles every time doesn't it <laughs> mum and a dad now if you think about if you died right now think of all of the people that would affect all of your family all of your friends all of the people you went to school with all the people on the street where you live the chances of you not being in a place over the next three days where you're not connected in one way or another to somebody is actually very slim. So you will almost certainly, and even if it's a friend, close family friend of your family or somebody they worked with, it will be people that your ancestors, if there's 16 of them, will have some sort of connection to. And um, also, as I said about the stones writing on them and thinking about getting them, to, if, if all these people could stand up, I mean, you look at these stones, all of these are men. Have a little guess in your head. I, I mean, if you're feeling brave, can you guess how many soldiers are in this one cemetery? I've got 100 over there. 200. 600. All right, well, in this cemetery, 1,293 soldiers are buried in this cemetery. And I've got the stories of, of only eight of them which I'll, I will quickly whip through. But the point of this was, this cemetery is where you went into the trenches. You came and gathered here. The Leeds pals, the Bradford pals, and other pals battalions, they sort of met up here, gathered any last bits of equipment, and then got into the first trenches. Now, you'll see the front line where they were headed soon, because we'll drive there. And that'll give you some idea of just how big the trench system was between here and the front line. Um, and... I'll tell you the story, because on the night of the 30th of June, so the night before the 1st of July, the Leeds Pals at 6 o'clock and then the Bradford, Bradford Pals at 6.45 set off to the trenches. And they arrived just at the entrance to the trenches right here, just before Euston Road Cemetery. Before they went into the trenches, they had to line up for an inspection. And whilst they were all sort of milling around, one soldier called Robert Henderson from the Leeds Pals who was an experienced soldier, was known as a bomber because he was the one who threw the grenades, was doing something with his grenades when one went off, triggering all the others that he had as well and killing him and wounding 14 other men just in this area. And whilst in this area they got more equipment to carry and one surviving Bradford pal called Private George Morgan said after the war, I picked a shovel because I thought it was not as clumsy and I was put, through, I put it through our equipment at the back you couldn't walk because, in fact, I think I was walking bow-legged because I had so much weight on me. It's like his leg is struggling under the weight. The Leeds pals set off to get to the front line from here. So they went set off at 6 o'clock to get to this point and they set off at 10 o'clock. Remember that time? 10 o'clock at night they set off to the front line just down there. They didn't actually get to the front line 
till four o'clock in the morning. So it took them six hours. Now we're about to do the drive and you'll see how long that's taken them to get there. Because they're trying to pass on other people coming the other way on a small area. It's difficult in the dark as well. And there's so many people all laden down with loads of kit. Anyway, when they set off from here at 10 o'clock, the long line of soldiers passed Euston Road Cemetery here where we're sat right now which had some burials in it from earlier in the war but there was also a load of graves that had been dug with nobody in them why so those troops were walking past looking at graves which was probably it was probably a bad idea to grave it's not going to do much for your morale is it that they've dug all these graves knowing that some people in the attack tomorrow were going to die and be put in them and some of the men who walked past the graves looked at their own grave that had been dug for them and ended up in that grave and, and I'll give you an example because that same guy Billy Mo um, George Morgan he had a cousin so he said when they set off they passed Euston Road and the freshly dug graves were there one of the first to walk past and end up in the grave was a Sergeant Billy Morgan from the Bradford Pals who was hit by a German shell and uh, his, his cousin George Morgan said we were going down Sackville Street, which is a trench, which you, I've got a map actually here. You can see where it is. It's just over there. And they sent some shells over. And somebody said, Billy Morgan's got it. Now, Billy was my cousin. He was my platoon sergeant. And as it happened, it had blown his head. Blown his head right off. All mutilated. And, and Private George Morgan felt sickened by what he saw. He'd just seen his cousin's headless body been blown off. His friends didn't know what to say to him and he had to just carry on marching to the front with tears streaming down his face because of what had just happened, just, just here. And Billy Morgan, W Morgan because he's William, that's Billy's short for it, he's buried here. When you do like the war at school, you talk the Germans are like the opposition, they're like the bad guys. Not if I'm your teacher, you're not. <laughs> no, but, no, but when you see them like their gravestones, you see them as like humans and like yeah. not the bad guys. See what like it really humanises it all and like it stops you from thinking it as like the enemy and like the allies it's just like they're all people they're all buried there like Germany as the opposition or the enemy again because they weren't they were just people <laughs> so what would you say i think i might be able to guess what you're going to say but uh, what what moment or what point of today struck you the most have you are you going to talk this time or yeah, it's no, not I like am. you to not say anything no, I am gonna speak. okay so what struck you the most on the trip today do you reckon which well, moment which point well like there was loads of people at the French and English cemeteries, but what should me there wasn't anybody really at the German cemetery. I know it, we went late, but it should be you know every cemetery should be visited by, and I was very shook by that. Okay, uh, what? Uh, well, we'll work our way around. So, what struck you the most, then, Sam? Okay, you always look like I've. It <laughs> always look like I've just told you I'm about to eat your cat. When I when I'm about to put the microphone in front of you. Um, so, have you got an answer now? I'll go to. Well, I'll work my way this way around then. So, Mary, what what struck you the most today? That all of those men are going to be lost to history because no one visits them. Well, some might, but because they're all so young, they haven't had, they haven't passed on generations because they haven't had a family yet. They're just going to be lost, and it's just a waste of a life. It's just going to be forgotten. So, the futility of wars got to you a bit today. So many stories. Remember, I've only got eight over 1,200. This I don't know. I don't know who this is. Don't know who that is. 
don't know that. Don't know what their story is. Maybe they've been lost to history. And one of the things that you can do on this trip to try to remember the soldiers is just sit at a random grave and just think because maybe nobody visited their grave. If I've been to William Morgan's, it's because somebody's done the research and I've happened to read it, so somebody's almost certainly been there. But there'll be loads of, loads of graves where maybe nobody's ever stopped and thought about that particular soldier. But Arthur Normington was one of the oldest men in the Bradford Pals. He was so old that he actually was the father of seven children and his eldest son was also serving in the army. But when the news, because he died on the 1st of July, and when the news of his death reached his wife, Eliza, with the seven children, of course, she had a total breakdown and she committed suicide by throwing herself in the canal in Bradford. So she died because of the song as well. She wasn't even here because of the, the absolute heartbreak she must have had from hearing that Arthur Normington had died. And he must have walked past here, seen the graves that had been dug for him, gone to the front line, gone over the top, died, and ended up being brought back over here. I mean, he might have been wounded, to be honest, to get back here before he died. Um, what was that ring called when we went to the big French cemetery? It, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, because I think one of the main differences between like the English and the French graves, the cemeteries, are the English and French ones seems, seem to be more like ceremonious, whilst the German ones are more sombre. And I think with that, the amount of names, it was just amazing because me and Katie were looking and there were three whole huge, like, there yeah, plates, like plates of just Smith just the last name Smith and it was it was sort of like shocking it was just really gobsmacked there's there's all sorts there's there's the guys in charge now of the pals battalions usually the people in charge were actually from the area they'd be educated people people with university degrees there was a class system in the british army if you were poor you were going in the lower ranks if you were wealthy and educated certainly wealthy you would get to be an officer and in charge and lieutenant harold foisey Due to lead a party of bombers and quietly smoked a cigarette, Corporal Norman Gawthorpe was standing next to him and recorded what happened. At 8.20, I remember saying a little prayer, and just before we climbed out, our officer, Lieutenant Foisy, said, I know I will not come back. I told him to believe he would, as I certainly believed I would. As I scrambled out behind Lieutenant Foisy with his section of bombers, having not travelled more than 30 yards or so, the section was reduced to four men. Lieutenant Foisy ordered his small party to take cover behind a small like, mound, a hillock he calls it, whilst he went forward to see what was happening, but he was killed covering only a couple of yards. And, so, and then, this is quite poignant, because that same guy who tells the story of Lieutenant Foisy says in 1974 he made a final pilgrimage to France and came here, and he wrote here in his old diary, 58 years to the day, on the 1st of July 1974, I was to stand beside his grave in Euston Road Cemetery and pay my last respects to a very gallant gentleman. So I think that's a really like, emotional story to think, if you find Lieutenant Foyes' grave, imagine in 1974, a really old man has gone through the effort to come all the way to France, and I just imagine this old man, probably quite frail, 1974, he must have been in his 80s at least, probably his 90s, and he's come all the way over here and stood at the grave of his old, the old officer in charge of him and paid his last respects and written about it in his diary. Well, I think it's quite like sad and depressing. 
when you think of you see the groves that you know don't have any names and you think that no you know there's a chance that nobody's ever been there and nobody ever will go there so it's sort of even though they had you know as much as an impact on the war as everyone else that they don't get remembered the same way cause, I think just turning up at that big German cemetery and just seeing how many graves away, you couldn't even see like the last ones because they just went on for so long. And then comparing that to how like neat and uniform and like similar all the other like British ones were, and just seeing the difference between them was really striking. It's really interesting because whenever I take students on battlefield tours, it's very often the German cemeteries which strike the students more than the British cemeteries. Now, we've all told you what shook us the most, but the question is, Mr. Otway, what shook you the most? <sighs> I don't know. I was... Uh, I'm so... <laughs> yeah, your, your singing struck me the most. thrown it all away. <laughs> <laughs> Ruby, 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 Ruby! I'm so busy thinking about the next thing and the next thing um, that I don't have time to think for myself about about things very often. But I did a little bit at Liston Thought, um, and I'll tell you what struck me the most because I took a picture of it. Uh, I took a picture of some of the messages on the bottom of the graves. Uh, well, there's one where somebody had written, the, the family had chosen to write. A message on the bottom of the grave which was a bit unique you know they often have quotes from the Bible if you've been looking and that sort of thing well this one was one that said but like a message to me it felt like a message to me or over a hundred years later so that I knew a bit more about the person who I, whose grave I was stood at because it said it's, it says see Matha from the Canadian infantry and I don't know anything about that except for then it says Carl was a third-year university student 1916 class, my love to all at home. So then I find out, oh, well, he was a university student, and he was called Carl, which I wouldn't have known before. So that, that was really unusual that they chose to do that. Um, and I'll tell you another one. Someday, sometime, until then, rest my beloved from wife and child. So that was all, that really hurt. That's like, struck me, made me feel sad because they say, I've got my wife and children at home. And it's, it's sad enough coming here for four days and, and saying bye to them. Never mind coming here for however long the soldiers came here for, and some of them never came back at all. But the wife's obviously put as a someday, sometime, we're going to be reunited, and until then. So there's a couple that struck me today. Thanks for asking, Harvey. I think it's sad as well that sometimes they might not have actually had a family, and that might have been why they joined the war, and then they died alone, maybe, you know, nobody to visit their grave. Or yeah, there was all sorts of circumstances. There must have been by the law of averages. And, and well, the ones that don't have a, an inscription in, next to them at all is, is, is often because the family couldn't afford to pay for one, which doesn't... The, the, the point of... There was lots of um, propositions put forward of how those cemeteries should look, and they talked about having the officers look a bit different and, and, and the different designs, but they decided that no matter whether you were a higher rank or a lower or a private in the army, they would all look exactly the same. But the only thing is that that is a bit of a difference in that some have the little messages on the bottom and, and some of them don't. But, you know, it costs a fortune to keep all those cemeteries like that. It's unusual for you to come on the battlefield strip and not see at least one gardener somewhere. Yeah, it's, it's very emotional how 
when you go to when you were telling us some of the stories and you saw all of the poppies there and you thought everybody who sort of like comes to that cemetery is are all looking for that one person and there are all of those other people like you know those other 2,499 and nobody really remembers them and it's really sad because they all did the same thing they all fought and they all like gave up their lives and it's you don't really want them to be forgotten because you wouldn't like to think that we do that to them leave the cemeteries like you want to be able to go around and read every single name because you feel it's I feel like it's unfair if you read someone's name and they're not another person's even though they're equal it's really weird trying to leave it like not trying to just run and look at the next row of people I know exactly what you mean and then we only see a fraction of the cemeteries we're, we're, and we're usually going to the cemeteries that other people are often going to that last one was an exception people barely go there but most of the others are, are ones that it's like there's always a bit of a play when I, when you're organising these trips because you might only ever come here once, so we have to sh we we really want to make sure you see the things that you need that you can't come to the Western Front and not see, like Loch Nagar Crater, for example. But then also there's because of that there's uh, cemeteries that are more inaccessible to coaches, cemeteries that have just got a handful of graves in the middle of a field. So it's it's so difficult to, to get that balance. And to t I don't want to just walk you around cemeteries all day long as well because that can be a bit bit dull. It's like it's awful to think that in some of those cemeteries there might be like some graves there that no one will ever go to visit that person. Like we might go past and like read all the names, but no one will know who that person was or know the story and actually go to visit them. And like, yeah, like Mary was saying, the stories are just gone. There's actually a German in here. A guy called W.H. Wilfred, he's called Wilfred Cohn, spelt K-O-H-N. He was a promising law student, a public school educated person. He joined, joined the army, but didn't specify where, which regiment he wanted to fight in. Because he was educated and a lawyer, he was automatically gonna be an officer. And they put him with the Accrington Pals, which is in Lancashire, near, near Blackburn. And uh, he went over the top and died, killed by the Germans, but he was born in Germany, called Wilfred Cohn. He was a German who'd obviously decided that Britain was his home, that's where he belonged, and joined the British Army. So you imagine how surprised the Germans would be if they'd have ever known, which they wouldn't have, that the, one of the men that they'd killed on that day was actually a German, and he's in here in a British cemetery and he would have been in a British uniform. I've never heard of that anywhere else on the whole front. We'll find cemeteries that have got Germans in them, but never that. That's totally unusual. And so after seeing the many sights of France and Belgium, we asked the students on the way home for their final thoughts on what they'd seen on the tour. So, I, do, I mean, I could just open up thoughts. I won't even have to direct a certain thing. Any thoughts? We're at the end of the battlefields trip. We're going home. Any thoughts? What have we got? Um, you know the circle, like the ring? The circle of remembrance sort of thing yeah. at the French cemetery. Um, I think that's the right way to remember World War One soldiers because like, they're all together. Like, It doesn't matter what nation or what side they were from. They were all soldiers fighting for like their country rather than like fighting for a reason that they they didn't want to fight. They just they had to. Um, I think we need to stop separating like the British forces and the German forces from like bad and good, um, and also, also notice that it isn't just German and British because 
like I didn't even know that there was like all these different like Canada. Canada is so much. Like, we've seen so many Canadian troops. And, I, no, I've never even thought of Canada when I think World War One. So I think we need to also, even though we should put them all together, I think we should also remember where they all came from too. Because it's, I know, instead of just separating them from German and British and bad and good. I thought it was quite nice in the cemetery you went to yesterday to see like that um, woman that had died as well, and she had a grave, and also all the, like the Chinese labourers and everything, so that everyone's like remembered in the same way, like if they died during part of the war. Of everything on the trip, what was the one thing, and all three three days and all the visits that we've done, what was the one thing more than anything else that was the point that that made you think that got you that? Um, well, the German cemeteries definitely. They're just going to be forgotten forever. Are they going to be forgotten forever, though? Well, they're not going to be remembered as much as everyone else, even though it was exactly the same. And some of them might be heroes. Like, you hear about the ones who... The soldiers who ran out on battlefields and grab, and to help their friends, even though the Germans might have done this, but no-one will know about it. And they won't get as praised as much. Yeah. Like, being a hero for them could be shooting down, like, you know, ten British planes. That'll be being a hero for them as well. There were British heroes who were... Shot take, away the name, take away the sides, they're all still people doing the same thing. See what you're saying, like, you, you, you're still like, not, not, not bad thing, but I'm saying that when you just put like the Germans as the bad guys, it's not always true. They also, because it could be swapped the other way around, and like the British people could be the bad guys in their eyes because they did the same thing. They're just, just, they're just German, we're British. The problem with, um, problem with not separating it is it makes the, it makes it a lot useless. If you say then not uh, everyone was like the same and that there wasn't any reason to do it, then it just looks like there's cemeteries for no reason. So I think it's so important that you don't just think that everyone was like the same in it, because it, it wouldn't make sense why they fought. Sure. Okay. Was the bit that stood out to me that like really got me was um I can't remember the place what it's called, but it's the one with the church on top of the high hills, the, the one that we went to yesterday. The French one where there were like. 40,000 and all, they just looked at you to the horizon I could see with just wooden wooden crosses and that really got me because it was like there were so many people that died there not 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 in the war just there which and there and there are still a lot of bodies missing and how I mean it's it's celebrated differently I get not celebrated but it's different but they put a lot of this, the ones that they is it that they didn't know who it was in the same in the same pit yes the ones that they didn't know they just put them in a pit which seems bad but it, it might be honourable. It just it just really got me at seeing all the the graves back to back as well. Yeah. I think it's um quite sad that they had to use the same gravestone for double size because they didn't get as much room just because they were German. It's like it's not disrespectful but it's just, it's just sad. Like, like and especially like thinking that there's just a hole with like 18 people in it and and they're all from different parts of Germany and they're all from all different like ranks and stuff. But when it's like kind of strips them of the rank death of kind of like when they've died they've kind of lost their rank and just became another person in the pit and I think that's quite depressing. I think the saddest thing for me was the fact that like most of the soldiers in the cemeteries were unnamed like they didn't have a, like a name and like their families don't know that they're in that cemetery because they never like found who, found out who they were. Riley said that they've all been stripped of their stripped of their rank and put in the pit. That could, I mean, not a good thing, but it could be like no matter who you were, high rank or low rank, you still did something for your country, and you are still treated the same after after in death. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I think I think that's a, I think it's a, a bit of a shock. Yeah. yeah. 
it's not it's not a bad thing or a good thing. You've got to say it's a good thing. Or a good thing. But it's just nice to know that, that, they, that it's not like one person that's just got a really good grave and other people have you know smaller graves. It's all the same because after death we're all just people. So is it important to go on battlefield tours then? Yeah. Why? Um, because there are a lot of them are very young and they're unnamed soldiers and stuff. You know that they didn't have a family because they weren't old enough to have kids of their own. Like all the like the youngest to like 25 year olds, they wouldn't have got married yet or had kids. So they might have done up to 25 at that time, yeah, but, but you're like, right in saying that a lot of them. A lot of them 18, were really 19, young and yeah. didn't have anyone, so no one's gonna know. Oh, there's no one to like pass on their story to, or even like pass on their family name to. So, so it's just gonna be lost. Why do you think we should go on battlefield trips? Um, just to make sure that we remember them how they should be remembered, because like they were all just soldiers they weren't like as i said like fighting for one they were all fighting for their country and they didn't like mean to throw they didn't want to throw grenades at each other they just had to so i think that it's important that we remember them as like people rather than soldiers and that like comes out a lot with when you go and visit all the cemeteries why can't i just teach you at school though just in, in like we do it on Remembrance Day, we have a big, we all go onto the tennis courts and a minute of silence, but that's not enough because you just don't, you don't imagine what's happening. You just think, oh yeah, like, you know, you might think 20,000 people died. It's when you see, there are. you just see for miles, there's just these little white stones. You know that how many people are beneath your feet. It's awful. Yeah, so yeah, it's not like 20,000 people died. It's, you know, in one, some single battles, taking points at Passchendaele was 200,000 was it each or 200,000 in total, people died for just a location to get to win the war. You know, it, it, it's just, you know, in school, some people don't really think about it or don't care, but there are, it's just not, you don't see it. You just think, oh yeah, just some people died and it's just a war. But it was, a, you know, a big thing. Countries from all over the world, no matter who you were, you fought and some people died. So it changed how you think about on Remembrance Day when, when it happens again in November. Yeah, so what? But this trip has got absolutely zero to do with your GCSEs. Is that should we should we not go to somewhere else? It's like a life trip. I feel really enlightened after it. Sounds a bit stupid, but seeing it all, it's so peaceful and so calm, and it makes you feel so like um, grateful for stuff you have. Okay. No, no, no. It does it's hard to put into words? It, it, it definitely did not sound stupid. That that's kind of what I hoped. It's made you think, hasn't it? That's yeah. the point. It's like you sometimes can be obsessed with this exam and that exam and this way of answering a question and that exam and question. But this is history. This is what it's all about, really. Why isn't that like a GCSE then? If it's like, you know, the World War kind of thing, like, isn't that? It is, but you can, you're only a part of a GCSE. So if we'd done medicine through time, you can learn about how they treated soldiers, for example, or if you do about um, changing nature of warfare, you have to do warfare all through time to, to do that, whereas we do crime and punishment. So this has zero to do with with your GCSEs whatsoever. It's, it's much bigger than just our, our GCSEs. It's like it's like so many like it's like hundreds of thousands of people dying just just for like freedom. So it's like that's, that's what it is. Or like to protect somewhere. It's not it's not just it's much bigger than oh we need to pass a GCSE. So. It's not, it's not about the GCC, it's, like, it's not about our GCC, it's about respecting what they did back then. I think it really puts it into perspective, like, compared to, like, when we studied, like, Vietnam and stuff, 
like the amount of people died there but like compared to the amount of people that died in world war one it's like it, it really puts it stuff into perspective yeah so you if you were advising the head teachers of the of the country who get on the desk request to go on battlefield trips and look and go there's nothing to do with their exams or the students who think well I'm not going to go on that trip because there's nothing to do with my exams or even the history teachers because we've thought about whether or not we should be doing this trip what would you say what would you say Julian uh, I think I would just say that it's not yeah it might not be to do anything with your exams but it's still almost like a life lesson of you know, you, you see what has happened and it, it just makes you feel a bit like I'm not saying like put put, put in a, your place but a bit like hum kind of like yeah like kind of like not humbling but you know uh, yeah, exactly it just makes you relook at life and go wow you know some people died for me to be here and have a life to go and pay respects to people who gave up their own lives for you to have such a great one now. Even if it's got nothing to do with the GCSE, you as a person should thank them for what they've done for you. Even if it was 100 years ago, you still have to do it because it's for you. People will be like, what's it got to do with me? But chances are we've walked over the bodies of people that we're related to. And like, if that's it, then it's you've still connected to like all of it. Not even if you're related to them, but like, you know, what's it got to do with me? Well, it's like they fought for you to be there. It's it, you may not be, you might not have any links to them, or you don't know who they were or anything. But it was their efforts and their like will to get through the war that we're here. And so that's you know just something to think about. And there we go. Just a small snippet of all of the many things we did on the battlefields. We went to museums. We went to where there was preserved trenches. We went all over the battlefields. It seemed to be the cemeteries themselves which struck the students the most. But I hope you can see from what the students said, especially at the end there, that this is why we, we are history teachers, many of us, and why we bother to go through the effort of organising these battlefield tours, because it really gets through to some of them and makes them think differently about their lives.